I'm shook. Welcome to the Holly Shook Podcast. I'm Armin, and I'm joined, as always, over the phone by my lovely, incredible co-host, Ryan Alkire. How are you, Rye? I'm good, Armin. Thank you for the intro. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good. It's been a wild roller coaster of a week. I threw a surprise party, and it's always harder to, su- to throw a surprise party, believe it or not, when the surprise is happening in your own home with the person you live with. Mm. Oh, you have to jump through some hoops, finding places to hide things, a lot of deception, a lot of lying. So there was that. I went to this incredible concert at the Hollywood Bowl. And if you have ever been to the Hollywood Bowl, it's a production because it's like you do a whole Mm. picnic and it takes forever to get there. So it's been a pretty crazy week, but I still found time to like do my research for Holly Shook, which was kind of hard to do with all this, all these things going on, but I did it. Right. Well, back to the deception and lying. I feel like you're pretty like well versed on that, so that shouldn't have been too hard. Um, especially like learning from all these scandals, how to deceive and lie like the best you can. Like last week, Ryan Lochte, liar. Right. I, well, I hope you don't think I'm well versed in lying and deception from my own history, just from the fact that I'm researching a ton of lying and deception. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's totally what I meant. It, it, this wouldn't be a Holly Shake podcast if you didn't throw some shade at me in the first two minutes. I mean, all I'm saying is that the fact that we're both so interested in this type of subject matter does say a little bit about our personalities. <laughs> and our character. Yeah. I'm not, like, always deceiving and lying, but, like, I can if I need to, you know? I thought you were going to say, but, but like, I'm always lying reasons. and deceiving. No, but you, you're you using it for good reasons, like to surprise your girlfriends for right. her birthday and like stuff like that. We're not like using it to like plan a murder at sea or like throw, get someone thrown out of their job so that you can have it. Like we, oh, Jay Leno reference. Um, yeah, we use, we use our ability to lie and deceive for good. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these evil superpowers, but we use them for good, you know, like. Uh, you could either like become Professor X or Magneto, you know, but we're Professor X. I don't know who those people are, but um, I'm sure they're really good characters somewhere. <laughs> they actually are excellent characters. There's a lot to talk about with those two X-Man? characters. Are they yes, X-Men? they're X-Men. Oh, really? They're X-Men. Okay, right. We should get into the Holly Shook scandal. Yes, yes, yes. But before we get into it, can you remind the listeners you know, how to find us on social and, oh my God. you know, what, what to do with the feed, which is to subscribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So um, we do have our own feed on iTunes now, and it's just under Holly Shook. Um, you can find it. It has all the episodes so far. Um, I think we're on episode eight. Yeah. Episode eight. Episode eight. So you can get all eight episodes starting from the beginning um, on its own feed. All you have to do is subscribe, and then every week it'll be automatically downloaded to your phone or your device or your could Walkman. be an iPad. I don't know. Your yeah, walk- whatever people but use. I don't think Walkman. I think that's the one device that okay. we're not on. Yeah, we're trying to get onto Walkman. So <laughs> soon, maybe Walkman. And um, yeah, just subscribe so you get every single week, and you won't miss a week. Um, really fun thing about these podcasts like you can like skip around like if you want to like go back and listen yeah. to an old one you can like there's no like chronological order i don't even know what year we talk about most weeks so <laughs> it could be any year and you just never know follow uh buttered pop which is that's that's our podcast network that we're on 
So follow at buttered underscore pop on Instagram and Twitter because that's what that's where you'll get updates on new episodes. You'll get, you know, graphics of uh, the new episodes that we're doing. Camille is our amazing gra- graphic designer. And uh, she makes these incredible, you know, like they look like People magazine covers, but it says like they're Holly so Shook cute. Weekly. Yeah, they're so yeah. good. And so she like basically puts like a like a, the scandal on the cover of uh, you know a People magazine. Basically, the scandals that we cover. It's really yeah. really cool. So you want to see those, and so you could find that on Instagram at buttered underscore pop. So follow us there and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And uh, Let's get started, right, right? Let's do it. Okay, so do we want to play the guessing game? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I like cool. guessing. So, so, yeah, sometimes we do this if you're a first-time listener. Since uh, we switch off storytelling, this is a bi-weekly podcast. Uh, every other week, we switch the storytelling role. Last time, it was Ryan, and he talked about Ryan Lochte. This week, it's my turn. So, Rye has no idea what I'm about to talk about, but I'm going to give him some hints. Last week, I gave uh, Armin hints, and he guessed it, and it ruined all the fun. So, <laughs> luckily, I'm not as good at guessing things. So, it'll actually be interesting this time. I guessed it really quickly, actually. Yeah, it was so annoying. Okay, so this scandal is actually inspired by the Hollywood Bowl concert that I went to the other night. So, I oh had a God. whole... Yeah. I had a whole other scandal set up. I had all my sources ready to go. I had done a little bit of research. And then this concert was coming up. And I felt like the moment was right for me to cover this particular scandal. So based on that info, do you know which one I'm going to cover? Well, didn't you see Lauren Hill or something? Yep. And then who else did you see? So I saw De La Soul. Dave Chappelle and Lauren Hill perform at Hollywood Bowl. Oh my God, are you doing the fact that Dave Chappelle disappeared in like somewhere forever? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I knew you'd get that. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Well, once you say Dave Chappelle, it's like, oh, remember when he disappeared? <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't really know. Honestly, I don't know much about it. I just know he disappeared. Cool. So you're I don't going. Know why. I don't know where he went. I don't know. Did he ever come back? I think he came back. <laughs> he hosted us at like two years ago. He he was in LA the other day. Oh yeah, you saw him in concert. Right. So, yeah, I guess. I guess he's back. See, I thought that if you knew a little bit about Lauren Hill, you may have thought that I was doing Lauren Hill because she has a few scandals of her own. Yeah. She actually went to jail for tax evasion. Yeah, yeah. So that's something we could cover another day. (laughs) Yeah, who hasn't, right? Um, But I'm going to talk about Dave Chappelle today. Okay, oh my God. (laughs) All right, so a little bit of background on Dave Chappelle if you don't already know him, and you should because he's the greatest stand-up comedian of our time. Wow. What didn't you say? Dumb some fighting words. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, other than I you, Rye. Other than thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But not really. <laughs> <laughs> you have a few ways to go. When you get your $60 million Netflix deal, then I'll say that you're on par with Dave Chappelle. Ah, well, give me a week. <laughs> okay. We'll check back in, putting my uh, alarm in. Next episode, I'll be... Six million, sixty million dollars richer, <laughs> and then you'll just ditch me at that point. Yeah, it's honestly. <laughs> so uh, Dave Chappelle, he started in uh, the eighties doing stand up. Actually, at age fourteen, he was kind of this prodigy. There was a ton of hype, uh, you know, surrounding his comedic genius. Uh, he landed his first role in a movie, and actually 
Robin Hood Men in Tights. You know the Mel Brooks movie? Ugh, I'm obsessed with Men in Tights. I used to watch that like all the time growing up. I was a huge Mel Brooks kid. I, I would watch mm-hmm. Spaceballs all the time. Young Frankenstein was like my shit. History of the World Part 1. Didn't see that one. Oh, that one is so funny. So Mel Brooks actually was one of the, you know, first like comedic luminaries who like saw the talent in Dave Chappelle. Like obviously Mel Brooks is one of the great comedians of all time. And he felt like this young kid had a ton of talent. So he taps him for that role. And throughout the 90s, Dave Chappelle is doing a ton of work. He's starring in supporting roles in a bunch of different movies, like Nutty Professor, Blue Streak. Uh, he does TV. Uh, he did a, uh, an episode on The Larry Sanders Show. He even gets his own sitcom at like 23 years old. God damn it. Which is nuts. I mean, that goes to show you how talented Dave Chappelle was at such a young age. And that show was called Buddies. It actually failed. It was a huge <laughs> flop. Wow. But the fact that he got the but chance. The fact, yeah, I was going to say, at least they like saw something in him. Not everything works. It's not no. about the talent. It's about the timing and, you know, the audience. What, Jerry Seinfeld didn't get Seinfeld till his late 30s. Right. So, like, there's still time for him to grow. Plenty of time. So, that was 96. 98, he gets his first starring role in a movie called Half-Baked. Mm. Have you seen Half-Baked? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little deception right there. It was a deception. I'm learning. Hello. Um, I may have seen seen parts of it, I want to say. I don't know if I've seen the whole thing. But you've heard of it. I've heard of it, duh. So Half-Baked was actually a movie that Dave Chappelle co-wrote with his really good friend, Neil Brennan. And it was a big-time critical failure box office flop. Right. But it actually has, like, a strong cult following, you know, as, like, a stoner comedy. Right. I mean, like, it was never, like, going to, like, go on and to break box office records, you know? No. They just needed to get it out there. It wasn't a very good movie either, but, you know, (laughs) in in a certain setting, in a certain mindset, it could be enjoyable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Then comes... Chappelle's show that's actually Mm. it's five years later Chappelle again he keeps doing these supporting roles but he doesn't get a chance at his own show again until 2003 that's when Chappelle's show Mm. premieres on January 22nd now have you seen have you watched Chappelle's show once again I haven't seen all of it I've definitely seen I've seen like a good chunk like I've watched it like I've seen episodes, I've seen clips, um, but no, I've never watched it. Chappelle's show is right up your alley because you love TV shows that have come out like 15 to 20 years ago. Right. So I still, I actually was planning on starting it this year because now it's been 15 years. <laughs> right. Um, but my, also my MO with like becoming a successful comedian is not watching any successful comedian shows. Um, Interesting. as you know, I have never watched Seinfeld. Curb Your Enthusiasm, other really successful ones. Do you not want to be Um, influenced by other comedians? Yeah, I just would rather find my own voice, so. Um, And, like, once again, like, he disappeared, so it's, like, kind of, like, I don't want to follow that path either, (laughs) so just straying away. You, But you are familiar with the fact that, you know, Chappelle's show had this, like, really rich, like, social, cultural, and, like, racial commentary embedded throughout Mm -hmm. it, right? 
Yes, and he like come. He plays like lots of lots of different original characters mm-hmm. and like reoccurring characters and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I I've seen like enough of it that I get it. You know, the the very first episode had the skit where he plays a blind black white supremacist mm, yes, who was yep. the le- who was a leader in the KKK and he mm-hmm. didn't know he was black. Mm-hmm. Everyone <laughs> had told him he was white growing up. Yeah. So so stupid, <laughs> but so brilliant, right? No, so great, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's absurd, so stupidly great, yeah, just absurd. And a lot of his sketch comedy was totally absurd. The show wasn't just created instant buzz. And the one thing I loved about Dave Chappelle was that he wasn't just like provocative just to be provocative. He was always like to me making like very salient, convincing observations you know about race about culture about life i i always thought that he was ahead of the curve on a lot of that commentary well yeah and i think that's like what i mean set him aside from other people too is like he wasn't just being like crazy and like ridiculous just for laughs it was like he had more to say than just like a funny character or something you know Mm -hmm. like there was like a message behind everything he was doing and I think that's what that point. resonated with people like right off the bat. So the first season of Chappelle's show came out on DVD. Remember those? I remember those. Yeah. DVDs. Do you ever, do you have a yeah. DVD? I don't have a single one. Do you think we need to educate our audience on what a DVD is? <laughs> um, I would hope that people still remember. If not, like Google it. <laughs> Everyone who listens have- to our podcast is like 12 years old. I know. We only have 10 year olds and younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the first season of Chappelle's show actually is the top-selling uh, DVD in television history. Damn. And I'm pretty sure, like, I owned it, or, like, my dad did or something. I did, I and like I... That's probably where I watched it. And I do. I still have it. It's in my room. I have season one, uh, season two, and season three, which is the dang. last season. We'll talk about that. Uh-oh. So, I, I was actually one of those people who bought the season one DVD and that's what got me into Chappelle's show. Mm, okay. I don't remember who let me buy it because I was like 11 years old. Right. <laughs> but someone did. You like don't get what's going on. I will. I think some of it, I know it's so subversive and there's a lot of adult themes, but you know, some of it, I think at age 11, you're in middle school. Some of it, I definitely, I think understood and I loved it. And of course, I mean, he does a lot of things, that are so silly, like R. Kelly's Piss on You. Yes, yeah, I've the, seen that one. I Wanna Pee on You song. Mm-hmm, that like mm-hmm. an 11 year old, that just, that's that's your jam. Like that's just hilarious. Pee comedy, poo comedy, you love that yeah. kind of stuff. You don't like really get what it is, but you're like, oh, he's <laughs> peeing on someone, like that must be funny. <laughs> um, so season two comes out again, huge, huge hit. Uh, but Chappelle only had a two season contract. So he becomes a free agent and he's like the hottest free agent comedian probably of all time. FX, NBC, Comedy Central, they're all in a bidding war for Dave Chappelle's services. Why didn't the, where was his TV show on beginning? Like where was the first two seasons on? Comedy Central. Why didn't they just like try to like keep him? Well, they did. Okay. So they're a part of this whole bidding war. And ultimately he does, he stays with Comedy Central for two more seasons at $50 million. A season? Uh, for both seasons? For both seasons. Oh, my God. Yeah, so 25 mil per season. It's one of the biggest deals of all time at that point. And 
The deal also has these setups for like other deals, including with Paramount Pictures to star in an adaptation of the autobiography of Rick James. Mm. And you've seen the Rick James skit, right? Yes, I've seen the skit. I didn't know he did like a whole... Did he do like a whole movie on it? Well, it never happened. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this must settle in to the drama. There were multiple other film projects that they also wanted to tie him to. And uh, that would have increased the total value of the deal as well. So this is like a monumental deal. It's like a star-making deal, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. So this was one of those things where you thought, okay, now is Dave Chappelle going to become a movie star? Is he going to be like one of the biggest comedians in Hollywood, like both on TV and movies? Yeah. The deal also gave him like a large percentage of Chappelle's show DVD sales, which is like a big deal mm, at the time. Yeah. Now it'd be like, no, thank you. I don't need that. Yeah, now it's like, eh. An extra $5. <laughs> <laughs> like, give me royalty somewhere else, please. Yeah. So now comes season three. And before season three starts, um, before the, it actually the production begins, I think it's important to note that there was a little bit of drama being reported surrounding Dave Chappelle. So... Apparently, in, in June 2004, he was performing in Sacramento at Memorial Auditorium. Yes, classic. Have you been there? No, but I've, yeah, I know what it is. Because <laughs> you're a NorCal, NorCal kid. NorCal, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you forget it. And uh, he, he has a meltdown at the show, a, a, according to the Sacramento Bee. And the reason why is because people were screaming at him, I'm Rick James, bitch. Mm, yeah. That, yeah. The famous line. The classic, yeah. And Dave Chappelle is pissed and he's saying, you're supposed to listen. This is a comedy show. You're supposed to sit there and listen to me. And then he actually walks off. Then he comes back on stage. He continues his set. But the, he continues his set saying stuff like, you know, this show is ruining my life. All I want to do is do stand-up comedy or I love doing stand-up comedy. And I feel like I can't do that anymore because... You know, everyone expects me to be like all my characters on like my show and stuff. Exactly, it's Which like it's the- also so weird because I feel like most most like stand up comedians once they get that like big break where they're like having their own TV shows and movies and stuff, they literally like. There's been qu- people that I know who have been quoted as like, "I hope I never have to do another stand up show ever again in my whole life or whatever." Because it's like really draining, right? Yeah, and it's also just like. I don't know. I feel like for a lot of people, stand-up comedy is like the path to TV and t- and movies and like bigger and better things. Not to say stand-up comedy is like not great, but like I don't know. I feel like a lot of people would be happy to like not have to do stand-up like as often at least. Like you know, only do it like a, a big headlining event or something, or like nowadays like a Netflix special. Yeah. No, I've I've heard stories, especially uh, from. Pete Holmes and uh, You Made It Weird, the You Made It Weird podcast, Mm -hmm. because he'll get a lot of comedians on there, and they'll talk about the grind of of stand-up comedy, and to, like, actually build your repertoire and your skills in stand-up comedy sounds, like, crazy, crazy intense, because they would say, yeah, we would have to do five, six shows a night, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you, you keep bombing, you keep working out your material, and in the early days when you're really like trying to grow as a comedian, you're doing like that many sets a night apparently. So like in New York, they're just hopping about. 
And there's actually yeah. one episode of Pete Holmes's show Crashing mm-hmm. where they depicted that whole thing of like hopping from different comedy club to other comedy clubs. Open mics and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just so intense. Yeah. I'm not good at it. I don't do it. <laughs> but I have friends who will do it. They're like, yeah, we're going here. And then this time, this time, and have to go here and here. And I'm like, sounds t- I can barely get myself to go to one. Right. It's like emotionally draining. Like you finish one, I'd feel like, okay, now time for a beer. Like the fact that you'd have to yeah. hustle to the next open mic. Well, I would still make time for a beer. <laughs> well, here's the thing about Chappelle. And I think there's other comedians like this, um, like Jeff Garland, for example, who just love stand up. They love the art yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard Jeff Garland talk about the fact that he still does those three, four, five set nights. Like he'll just hop Crazy. around and he's, you know, yeah. Jeff freaking Garland. Yeah. He's had a movie career. He's still, he's still on curb, you know, yeah. one of the most widely respected guys, but he just loves the art of standup. Dave Chappelle is one of those guys. Okay. Um, so yeah, he goes off on this whole soliloquy at the Memorial Sacramento. Auditorium. Yeah. <laughs> of all places. Yeah. Where, you, you know, you could, you could kind of, feel already that the pressure of the show is getting to him and like he feels like the show is starting to maybe like chip away at his other passion yeah i mean to be fair like the type of audience that would go to a show like that in sacramento like of course they're gonna be like the trash people who like (laughs) heckle from the audience and stuff so like he shouldn't take it too seriously but i get why it could be like the straw that breaks the camel's back Hopefully none of those 4,000 people who were there 14 years ago are listening. Uh, if any of you are, you're not trash. You're trash. No, you're trash. <laughs> what are the odds, by the way, that one of those 4,000 people from 14 years ago, by the way? Well, they might be like, that was, I was part of history of Chappelle. <laughs> I instigated Must, Dave Chappelle's breakdown. I still breakdown. live off the adrenaline from that night. <laughs> be a podcast about it. And we're like, oh my God, you're still psychotic. Got it. Cool. So that happened in June. Dave Chappelle starts filming in uh, November of 2004. And actually, apparently, uh, the production, it it begins really well. And they're doing really funny skits. Chappelle seems in control. Sketches. Sorry, sketches. What's the difference between (laughs) skits and sketches? Skits is like something you do at like your Boy Scout camp, like in front of the campfire (laughs) that you like made up five minutes before. And it like, yeah, that's a skit. Sorry, sketches. Right, it's always referred to as sketch comedy, right? Yeah, not skit comedy. My mom's always like, how's your skit show doing? I'm like, mom, uh, it's more serious than that. So, yeah, the sketches are going well, and Newsweek is actually there visiting the set, and they're reporting on it because it's a huge deal. Yeah. And um, like I said, they reported that it's going off to a good start. But two weeks after their visit, Dave Chappelle's publicist announces that they're going to halt production on season three for now. And it wouldn't premiere on February 16th, 2005, as previously scheduled. Okay. And it's an indefinite postponement. So we don't know when it's coming back. Okay. And the publicist said the cause was, quote, unquote, intense personal issues. Mm. Soon after that, the premiere gets rescheduled to May 31st. So people are like, okay, you know, maybe some personal stuff is going on in his life, but we'll get it. It's only three months later that we'll, that yeah. we'll get season three of Chappelle's show. In early uh, May, Comedy Central begins running promos for the May 31st premiere. But 
less than 24 hours actually after they first ran promos, production was indefinitely delayed once again. Oh my gosh. And and here is the part of the podcast where I want to talk about the, the, the speculation and the rumors, because to me, that's the real scandal of this all. Okay. What you're going to find out is that this is this is a scandal because it was like a really salacious story at the time. Like it yeah. was well, well covered. People were talking about it. Uh, and Dave Chappelle was a really, really hot star at the time. Mm-hmm. To me, the scandal actually isn't as much about what, what he did. To me, the scandal is actually the way it was covered. Okay. I love that. So initial speculation ranged from him having a nasty flu to him having walking pneumonia, mm. to him also having writer's block. They're like, it's just a crazy writer's block. He can't get over it. They're like three different like diseases. They're like, writer's <laughs> block, he's been diagnosed. Um, Newsweek writes this article called Fears of a Clown, which, by the way... Just like disrespectful. Right? Yeah. And you know what? Okay, before I get into the speculation and the rumors, this is, this is what I'm going to say. All, all, like, all of the speculation rumors were not true. Of course. And they really, really tear Dave Chappelle down. And you, you see, like, headlines like this, fears of a clown. They basically parade him around, and they dehumanize him. And that's something that Dave yeah. Chappelle will talk about. Ultimately, like, look, did Dave Chappelle not act perfectly in this situation by, like, disappearing on his production? Sure. Right. Like, he admits that. He says, like, I'm a human being, ultimately. Yeah. Like, But, you know, for the media to just trash his character and go in on him as they initially did without any hard evidence, that's where the real scandal is. So, I'm going yeah. to get into that right now. They're kicking him while he's down, which is just, like, a bad tactic. And just, like, using, like, every stereotype and uh, like every like go-to maneuver they can in this moment to just get more clickbait sell more magazines all that kind of stuff clickbait before it was clickbait right before they really understood the internet before we could really click it (laughs) well there was the internet around at this time right oh really i don't know when that got invented (laughs) i was like nine years old at this point so i'm like (laughs) um this is 2005, right? You can't even do math on your own. <laughs> okay, I was 12 years <laughs> on your own old, age. <laughs> okay, so th- this is where it gets crazy. People Magazine reports that Dave Chappelle went to South Africa on April 28th. Now that's true, but they also yeah. added that he was going there to check himself into a mental health facility because he's gone crazy. Mm. During all this time, Dave Chappelle's publicist, Matt Lebove, I don't know how it's pronounced, Lebove, Lebov? Lebove. Let's go Lebove. More fun. He mm-hmm. had no comment on most of these um, allegations, in part because he actually didn't even know what happened to Dave Chappelle. Mm. He doesn't know. He actually doesn't know where Dave Chappelle disappeared to initially. And neither does Comedy okay. Central, neither does Neil Brennan. His co-writer. On so Chappelle he literally show. just like dipped out, like kind of like without telling anyone where he was going. Like didn't like say like I need time off. He just like ran away. Yep. Okay. Dips out. Doesn't Same. tell a soul. 
No, his agent doesn't know. Okay. Probably his wife knew. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, is I'm guessing his wife and kids knew, but nobody else knew. Okay, but so I didn't even know he had a wife and kids. Like, did they like? I mean, we can get to it later, but do they have like anything to say on this? No, they are they are very private, actually. Okay. So they don't make public comments. Okay. They live in Ohio. They live on a farm in Ohio. Dave Chappelle, his wife and kids live on a, on a farm in Ohio. They live a private, Same. quiet life. Okay. So, here's what's crazy. All these different news outlets then just, like, build off of that report. Or I don't know if they build off that report, but, you know, they just start to throw different shit at a wall. Oh, Dave Chappelle is not only uh, checking himself into a mental health facility... Other outlets are saying that he's addicted to crack. Other outlets are saying that he's going to rehab. Other outlets are saying that he's partying way too hard. That he's just on a party binge and he's lost his mind. In South Africa? No, beforehand. And that's what led him to go oh. to South Africa to kind of get treatment. Yeah, okay, so. So. They're acting like this is like groundbreaking news. Like, let the guy live, you know. Right. So you're getting all these initial stories of Dave Chappelle being crazy, being a drug addict, being on drugs, yeah. being a party animal. Like the thing is, you don't know if these necessarily overlap because they're coming from so many different like publications because some may be like, OK, yeah, he's, he's a party am- animal. We're not saying he's a crack addict, but right. he's, he's still he's a party animal. And are they just getting this from like jumping to conclusions or is there like pictures like? Is there like they're witness jump- reports? They are hundred percent jumping to conclusions. Okay. They just don't understand why somebody would not want to continue their own show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why they would put their own show on hiatus? Why they would potentially walk away from fifty million dollars? Right. I guess they don't understand it. So to them, uh, they have they feel like oh, it must be they're one like of drags. these. Yeah. So let's just throw something at a wall, and. Like I said, like to me, it's so obvious that they're throwing shit at a wall when like they're using all these different things where it's like, oh, if it's proven he's not a crack addict, it's like, oh, well, no, no, no. See, he was partying really hard. <laughs> he wasn't partying really hard. But, but see, but he went crazy. You see how the, mm-hmm. the lines get blurred between all of these different uh, these different accusations. You know, they, they could all kind of be like one thing. Like he could be this yeah. crazy guy who's partying too hard, which is making him go crazy. And he is partying too hard via doing a lot of drugs right they can or all be stacked just fucking tired and sick of the attention like i don't know right a normal reason to like stop doing it now here's what's interesting so like i said april 28th is when dave Chappelle disappeared he goes to south africa throughout the production process time magazine actually had extensive access to the production of the show and then when Dave Chappelle disappears, they are able to send their Johannesburg bureau chief, Simon Robinson, um, mm. meet with Dave Chappelle uh, in Durban, where he was staying. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, the piece is really interesting to me because it outlines, like, the like some of the issues beforehand. Like, apparently, Dave Chappelle tells Time Magazine on April 19th that he's got to call – he may have to call the – head of Comedy Central, Doug Herzog, and 
tell him whether he's going to do the show or not. So you could, so he was already kind of vacillating between whether or not he wanted to do the show. Yeah. Before they started even filming. They had already filmed some sketches. But it was like when they went on a first hiatus or whatever. Right. So they went on a hiatus. He came back to do it again so they could get okay. ready for May 31st. And then he goes on the other hiatus yeah. on April 28th. So April 19th, he's still, he's like still feeling the pressure he uh, is still kind of waffling about whether or not he wants to do the show. And we still don't quite know why. But this Time Magazine uh, article really illustrates a lot. Okay. They have that information leading up to it. And then you get Simon Robinson meeting with him in Durban. And there, Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle clarifies he's not on drugs. He's not in a mental health institution. He's just staying with his friend Salim. Just like hanging out. <laughs> Just hanging out. But here's the thing. It's not Dave Chappelle deflecting or doing some PR. It's a vulnerable piece as well. Because he says, oh, I'm definitely stressed out. Right. The production of the show and the pressure of creating something as great as seasons one and two is stressing mm-hmm. me out. So yeah. it is an honest, vulnerable piece. Dave goes into the concept of fame and celebrity and the inability to live a peaceful life when there's so many eyeballs on you. Right. But I guess I'm just like struggling with this and maybe you'll get to it, but I'm like, why didn't he just like say that from the beginning? Cause like, wouldn't he like, he's a smart guy. Like, wouldn't he like get that? Like if he runs away and just kind of ditches the show without any explanation, like the fact that he's so famous, it's just going to kind of intensify that feeling. Yeah. And he admits that he may not have handled it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Now, he's been asked about it in recent years and whether or not he regrets how he handled it and you know whether he would have done things differently. And he actually says, look, it, is, it, it happened the way it happened. And I, I'm in a great place today. And yeah. I feel like I'm living my life exactly the way I want to live it. And I feel very comfortable with my place in society. It was obviously this really infamous moment, but um, does he regret it? No, it doesn't seem like he does, actually. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't regret it. And, like, obviously, if he had handled it differently, he did, who knows if he would have gotten to that place where he is now, you know? I, I think based on a lot of the quotes, and I'm going to go through a lot of the stuff he said, but, like, it seems to me like he felt a little cornered and he almost had to do something super drastic. Yeah. To like take control of his own life. And that's something he, he keeps going back to. He, he'll say like, I feel like I was losing my own voice. Even his yeah. co-writer, Neil Brennan, who, like I said, one of his best friends, co-wrote Half-Baked with him and was a co-creator and co-writer on Chappelle's show. He says, uh, Dave Chappelle was in a fight or flight mode and he just picked flight. Mm-hmm. And actually, due to this, actually, uh, Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan didn't have a rift but they stopped talking for a long while i don't doubt that uh i don't know if you noticed though Chappelle and neil brennan um introduced the sketch comedy award at the emmys this week this this last monday oh my god so they're be- they're friends again they're friends again yeah you know time heals all wounds right yeah, yeah yeah okay so back to the time magazine piece uh you know dave talks about how like in South Africa, he has this quiet place where he could just like think, this is his quote, he says, I could think 
eat, sleep, laugh. I'm an introspective dude. I enjoy my own thoughts sometimes. So, so there's that. And you could tell that, again, it's the pressure of the show. And that's something he doesn't avoid, by the way. He doesn't say, no, I wasn't feeling pressure. I just needed quiet. He says, no, I was feeling pressure. And that's totally. why I 100% believe everything Dave Chappelle says on the matter. So Chappelle goes on to say that he didn't like the direction of the show as well. And that was a part of what was different, I guess, about filming season three as opposed to seasons one and two. He felt like there was a lot of resistance to his ideas during pre-production and production. So he says he didn't feel like he could express his own voice. But Neil Brennan denies this in the same Uh timepiece. He says Dave Chappelle had literally absolute, complete, creative freedom and plenty of time to work. He goes on to say, there were 1,000 ways to deal with this. By the numbers, this was the worst way to have done it. (laughs) He couldn't think straight. It was fight or flight, and he chose flight. I wonder if it's like, why didn't he just say like, yo, can I get like a few weeks off? Like, can I like clear my head and like get back on track without having to go to South Africa? (laughs) Like, couldn't he have just like stayed at home for a couple of weeks, like in LA or wherever he lived? Again, I, I think it goes back to the fact that he, and, I, and I'll, now I'll just get into it. Like Dave Chappelle talks about the, the concept of like fame and celebrity and being in a place where people don't look at you as human anymore. He, he, yeah. and he goes on inside the actor's studio in 2006. And he says that when you're a $50 million man, you're dehumanized. Yeah. And people around you no longer look at you as Dave Chappelle. They look at you as this vehicle to making more money. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I think he was just feeling all that pressure and it was and it wasn't something that a few weeks of time could heal. I I think that he needed to completely sever himself from the reality of his fame at the time. So I'm gonna go back to uh time because like right in the moment he has a pretty clear understanding of what's messing him up. So he has this quote. He, he goes, there's things that overwhelming, but not overwhelmed me, but not in the way that people are saying. I haven't spent any of the money. So I guess one of the things at the time that, that publications were saying, but I couldn't find this, um, was that Dave Chappelle may have spent a lot of money that he didn't have yet. He well, goes, yeah, I mean, a flight to South Africa isn't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on to say, all that stuff about partying and taking crack is not true. Why do I live on a farm in Ohio to support my partying lifestyle? Oh, well, yeah. But he, but he goes on to say also that the problem started with his inner circle. He said, if you don't have the right people around you and you're moving at a million miles an hour, you could lose yourself. Everyone around me is saying, you're a genius. You're great. That's your voice. But I'm not sure they're right. So you could kind of see that Dave Chappelle felt like he was kind of like this – Again, like, you remember the title, Fears of a Clown? Like, he was this clown being paraded around. Yeah, You're just, like, an object, and you're told where to go, when to be there. You don't really get, like, freedom of your own, like, life and schedule. And I get that. I hate, like, using this as an excuse, but I'm also, like, that comes with a job. No, and, you're like, right. N- not to say, like, it's easy, but, like, there's things you have to, like, sacrifice, I guess, to reach that level of success in that part of the industry. And I'm not saying it's like easy and I'm not saying it's fair, but I don't know. Something like rubs me the wrong way about just like 
how some people react to it. No, you're right. And here's the thing. So your choice is I could take all this money, 50 million plus dollars, and what comes with it is that I will be objectified. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get to, you know, create maybe with some limitations, right? There could be some pushback by the network. But according to Dave, actually, he says that Comedy Central wasn't that bad. They weren't more egregious than any other network. Yeah. They were actually mostly supportive of the stuff he wanted to do. They even let him do the Rick James sketch, which had a ton of cursing. Basically, the whole sketch would have just been bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah. So that's like the first Comedy Central episode that they aired where they just put a warning in front of it and they rolled it all out. Nope. They didn't bleep it at all? Nope. <laughs> so Dave Chappelle had, you know, a lot of creative control, actually. Yeah. Um, But like going back to that whole point, it's like you could take that money, right? And, and it's going to come with maybe a little bit of like creative limitations. Um, and But it's definitely going to come with that objectification. Or you could not take the money. Chappelle right. chose to not take the money. So, like, he did have that choice in front of him. And, and like you said, Rai, if you want to go, if you want to have the money, if you want to have the fame, there's going to be consequences. But he decided, I'm not going to take it then. I'm not going to go that route. And that's why Chappelle in multiple interviews since has said, like, I all of a sudden found myself in this place that I wasn't comfortable being in. Yeah. He, he does this show, and he didn't know that he was going to become a mega, mega superstar, top-selling DVD of all time. Everyone loves him. People think he's the you know toast of the town. Oh, you took the, the torch uh, from Chris Rock. These are all the things that people were saying at the time. You're the, you're yeah, the best comedian like, in the world. He also had, like, had his opportunity at shows before, and they didn't do well. So, like, I think with any show, too, a lot of people are like, yeah, you want it to be successful, but it's such a, like shot in the dark so especially for it to blow up that much almost overnight you kind of said like that's gonna mess with you like you can never know how to react to that situation exactly one other element that Chappelle talked about in that time magazine piece was that he also was trying to like reconcile how maybe his um sketches on race would play in society and like how it may affect the way people view race, the way people talk about it. And he was worried that he may go from like exploring stereotypes to actually reinforcing them. Um. So he talks about the last sketch he shot before his first hiatus in uh, December. Um, it was about uh, this pixie that Dave Chappelle played and uh, the pixie is wearing blackface and it's trying to convince black people to act in stereotypical ways. And Chappelle thought the sketch was funny. However, during the taping, there was a white man in the audience and he was laughing super, super loud and long and it just struck a nerve with him. Mm. And so this is the quote from Dave Chappelle. He said, when he laughed, it made me uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, that was the last thing I shot before I told myself... I got to take fucking time out after this because my head almost exploded. Weird. So I think he was also struggling with the fact that his sketch comedy was provocative and yeah. it covered very deep, real issues. And maybe he wasn't sure if he was covering them appropriately. Even right, though like I, how I, is I it think being he did. Received? 
Right. right. But but you see, he's an introspective guy, like he said, and he's a thoughtful person, so he's going to take these things more seriously than maybe other comics. Yeah. Like, a lot of people would be like, oh, they're laughing, like, hurrah. Mm-hmm. But he was like, but why are they laughing? Like, what are they, are they laughing with us or are they laughing at us? Right. And, oh, and are, am I normalizing racism and right. stereotypes? Yeah. So this is heavy stuff. Um, so, like, in this Time Magazine piece written in May 2005, so this is just, like, two weeks after uh, he flees to South Africa. Flees. He didn't flee anywhere. Um, uh-huh. He just went to visit a what? friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's the way they, they, you know, they create this construct that, you know, he must right. be fleeing. Um, right. I guess in a way I he, he fleed. I guess he Blue. fled his show. Fled. Right? I yeah, mean, in a way. Yeah, show. He, uh, it's like, yeah, he did flee kind of because he didn't tell anyone. He escaped. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a weird concept. It, it, it's, it's definitely like, a unique he's moment. To, yeah, like he's allowed to go wherever he wants, but it's like, you also like had a job. Yeah. So it's like, what did you do? He had responsibilities for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in this piece, Doug Herzog, the head of uh, Comedy Central, says we would love to have Dave Chappelle back, but there won't be a Chappelle show in 2005. Uh, Dave Chappelle actually says, hopefully, they will continue Chappelle's show, which I just thought was an interesting nugget to pull, um, since obviously we didn't get another, we didn't get Chappelle's show. Spoiler right. alert. <laughs> um, for those of you still wishing. And I thought this was a pretty cool little nugget as well. Asked about um, advice he's gotten. He says from Lauren Hill. Oh my God, lols. <laughs> right? Because I, I saw Lauren Hill and Dave Chappelle at the same concert. And he has so much reverence for Lauren Hill. You know, he, he said so on stage. But he says, yeah, Lauren Hill. Um, this is the quote. She did give me some advice. She told me to be truthful at all costs, which is a tall order but which was really good advice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I feel like that's kind of the synthesis of this all, right? Like, like you got to be truthful at all costs. And that's what Dave basically does post-2005. I feel like that's the quest he's been on. So, from 93 to 2006, he's on a TV show or movie every single year, at least one. Every single year. The dream. <laughs> <laughs> Doing well for himself. Yeah. He, he doesn't do a anything. He look at his IMDB look at his IMDB page. He doesn't do anything between 2006 and 2015. Damn. Basically disappears from public life. Yeah. Cuz like I I'm mean, sure you're going to say but there was like I remember there's like a big return. Right. Like moment which was like the basically the Netflix special although he he has a couple interviews before then, which were big deals. One with David Letterman, one with Oprah Winfrey. Although mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey was uh, in 2006. But uh, David Letterman happened in 2014. I'll get there. But that was a pretty big deal because it was like, whoa, we haven't seen Dave Chappelle in eight years. We've been, we've been living um, you know, our Dave Chappelle experience through these DVDs, DVDs. from 2003, 2004. And like a... a amazing special from 2004 called for what it's worth like that's that's kind of like it's like a time capsule of dave Chappelle, and like that's what we know him as we haven't really seen him in like nine ten years but like one of the first interviews he does post 2005 right so he goes on he he disappears for a while after that may 2005 time magazine piece he goes on inside the actor's studio in 2006 with james lipton you ever watch that show 
I never watch it, but I always would watch the um uh the SNL sketches making fun of it. With Will Ferrell. Oh my god. Yeah. So good. So that's how I that's how I know it. I have seen like a couple interviews of people that I like on it, but Okay. I like the SNL sketches better. So you haven't watched religiously, but you've seen inside the actor's studio. Sure. <sighs> I swear, every media I ask you about, you've never seen or heard of before. I've heard of it, but I mostly know it as the Will Ferrell SNL sketches. <laughs> so, um, Chappelle appears on Inside the Actor Studio, and he talks about why he went to Africa. And, and basically, like, things I've talked about before. Like I said, I felt like he had clarity right away. Now, he's, right. He, he says in these different interviews that... He feels it took it took him a while to get clarity, but it's always like it seems like to have clarity in life, like what he really needed. But he had clarity at least from the beginning on the fact that he he was troubled with how his life was going at the time. Yeah, and he knew he, why. Like, knew why he like knew why he was having like a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he didn't know what was coming next. Right. Um. Until he did, but yeah. So like he he talks about how he felt he wasn't a real person, and um the and he and he mentions how like how Newsweek just casually slandered him by saying he was like addicted to drugs, uh because Newsweek is like pretty respected, right? And so like they didn't they didn't say he was addicted to drugs, but they like kind of just Implied. slipped it in, and yeah, they had this innuendo about it, yeah. And it's like wow, you guys are just basing that off of like People magazine. Mm-hmm. And National Enquirer probably right like not jumping to conclusions, not legitimate publications. So like he felt like really messed up by that, and he's like, and I I love this one line because he says I have not spoken about what would make a person walk off the set of a su- successful show and go to Africa. It's, it it kind of speaks to how you keep asking like, but why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just take a few weeks off? Yeah, and it's. Again, it's because it was the whole situation. It wasn't the fact that he wasn't feeling right in the moment. It was the fact that he was doing the show. And the fact that he had all the fame. Like, he talks about the pitfalls of fame and how it affects the way people treat you and, and how you deal with things emotionally. He, he has this quote. He says, and the higher up I go, for some reason, the less happy I am. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if he's, like, one of those people, and he probably is who would have been happy just like working consistently, like as a comedian without any of like the fame and fortune that comes with it, you know, maybe like a Jeff Garland. Yeah. Just famous Um, enough. Like you get to work, you get to do good comedy, but you're not like crazy famous. You can't walk down the street. You're not being like scrutinized at every turn. You're not like having stories ran about you. Mm -hmm. You're just like well-known respected. You get to work and that's your living and like, can't complain about that you know right I, I also and when you're really really good and you can create a show that everyone loves it's kind of how it works right and, and i can't help but think like race played a factor in the coverage yeah totally because he's a young black man walking away from a lot of money so he must be crazy right he, he must be a, going off your hinges he must be doing crack like what right it's like, like tyrone biggums was a sketch Tyrone yeah. Biggums isn't Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Oh, he must be partying too hard. Like every cliche oh in the book. It's like, yeah. I don't know, I just like, I get reminded of like when Phil Lord and Chris Miller were going to do the Han Solo movie. And you remember how there were 
you know, issues with Disney and uh, there were basically like a ton of just creative differences. And, mm-hmm. you know, they decided to leave and they put in Ron Howard. Nobody went like, oh man, like they must be partying and like on crack to not want to <laughs> do a Star Wars movie. Right. Like, no, maybe they just like wasn't the right project for them. Like, shocker. Right. Or like Alec Baldwin. You, you, did you see the news that he was going to be in the new Joker movie? No. So he, the news came out one day later, he taps out of it. I think because there was negative feedback. <laughs> right. Probably because people were like, mm. So I didn't see any stories about Alec Baldwin being on crack. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like some race played a factor in the coverage. Yeah, and, and that's totally. why I keep going back to the fact that, in my opinion, the the coverage is the real scandal. Did, did he not handle the situation Weird perfectly? Choice. Sure, but that's not scandalous. But this shouldn't have been the scandal that it became. It became a scandal because people wanted to invent stories. Because Us Weekly probably invented stories. National Enquirer, all these different outlets were inventing stories. That's how it really actually evolved into a scandal. Mm-hmm. You could almost like, it's not the same at all, but like last week when we talked about Ryan Lochte, he was like, well, you guys just blew this out of proportion through the media and blah, 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 blah. But that was like him making an excuse, but it's kind of similar. Like, in this case, they actually did blow it out, out of proportion. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, it's like the opposite almost. Like, if, if, like, Dave Chappelle was just trying to do something for himself and then they blew it out of proportion. Ryan Lochte could have just like been honest from the start and then there would have been nothing to blow out of proportion. Right. But either way, someone's getting screwed over. Mm-hmm. It's always the media. <sighs> so uh, back to the, the James Lipton interview, you know, Dave Chappelle, again, he talks about how uh, in, in Africa, like they, they didn't know who he was. Uh, and right. they would... Do regular, as he said, regular stuff with him, and it made him feel good. And he has this line I really liked. He says, it reminded me that I was a person. Hmm. And, and then he goes uh, he goes on to say, I called home, and, and people were like, oh, my God, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm just chilling. I'm in Africa, baby. What's going on? And so, was he, like, cut off from the news coverage while he was there, too? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, because like, at, at that time, like you, said, like you mentioned earlier, far limited far more limited internet access yeah didn't even know it existed yet and this is sort of meta this this thing he's going to mention because you know we do a podcast where we talk about celebrity scandal right right so in a way we're a little bit a part of the this whole we're part of the problem we're part, part of the problem, problem. <laughs> just say it but like he, he goes on to say i thought about never coming back to the united states i said this place is crazy like i'm that dude I just thought about all the things that celebrities go through and what celebrities would come in our culture. You know, if you're Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston and your marriage is breaking up, that's an awful thing. But to see that speculation, people got to sting a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm one of those people. That's a small club. That's a weird place to be. And I love this this next line, right? He says, Dave Chappelle says, there ain't really no going back. You can't get unfamous. You can get infamous, but you can't mm. get unfamous. So I got scared. I'm not going to lie to you. I was scared to death. Mm. That is creepy, kind of. Right. So like once your name is known, it's like never not known again. Exactly. So, and, and, and again, that's why I keep, keep saying, uh, you know, in the end, Dave Chappelle didn't want to do 
didn't want to do this show in the way it was being done. He didn't want to have the the level of fame that he had, where he was a superstar. He was the yeah. dude. Mm-hmm. Um, he would go on to have an interview with Oprah Winfrey on the Oprah Win- Winfrey show later that year. And again, it's reiterating the dude had a lot of cl- clarity. He says I wasn't crazy, but it, this was incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. Um. He, he says, I felt in a lot of instances I was deliberately being put through stress because when you're a guy who generates money, people have a vested interest in controlling you. The objectification. Right? Scary. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, $50 million, of course, they're going to like try to control your every move. That's a lot of money to invest in someone. Yeah, they're like, we need the ROI. Where's our ROI on this? We need that really, really good return on investment. Mm-hmm. He says, I felt like some kind of prostitute or something. If I, if I feel so bad, why keep on showing up to this place? I'm going to Africa. The hardest thing to do is to be true to yourself, especially when everybody is watching. A callback to Lauren Hill's advice. Stay mm-hmm, true to yourself, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then after 2006, he goes dark. Disappears from public life. He does stand-up comedy here and there, uh, but it's in these like small, intimate venues, and you don't know he's showing up. Like He isn't having these yeah. like, sold-out performances. Yeah. In 2014, he has that interview with David Letterman that I mentioned earlier. And again, it's a lot of the same stuff. He talks about how happy he he was to like spend time with his kids and how he sees other people who are making like loads and loads and loads of money, but they don't get to spend time with their kids and they're not happy. So Dave Chappelle is just this guy who like wants to live on a farm in Ohio with his kids and make people laugh sometimes. Like that's who Dave Chappelle is. Yeah, and I feel like he's one of those people that, I mean, he already made a shit ton of money, so he's like, cool, I made my money, now I can just, like, do what I want to do and, like, be happy doing it. Right, and and now you have kind of, like, the Dave Chappelle resurgence, mm-hmm. um, where I feel like he's just in this comfortable place, he's not going to do the roles or create the shows uh, that are going to make him, like, ridiculously famous. I also think the environment is perfect for him in 2018 because there are so many platforms, there are so many outlets, mm-hmm. there are so many streaming services that you really can't be, like, A-list, uber-famous, Robert De Niro in the 80s, Al Pacino in the 80s, Brad Pitt in the 90s, famous anymore. You know what I mean? Like, there's just right. too many people out there. Like, there's too many Vine stars for kids to latch on to. Yeah, like you can be well known, but there's not like a superstar. Like maybe there's like one superstar per year. Yeah, and, and then and, their time is up. And and even then, like there's just so much content that you you get drowned mm-hmm. out in a way. Still, totally. There's so, too much. It's like oversaturated. So like in 2015, he plays a supporting role in Spike Lee's Chirac. He's playing in a supporting role in A Star Is Born. Oh my god, he's in the Lady Gaga movie? Yes, he yes. he's one of the top build uh actors in it. You know, oh obviously god, so random. Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper at the top, but apparently Dave Chappelle plays a key role in the movie. Yes, Dave Chappelle. He, yes, Gaga. He's in the trailer. Oh my god, I didn't even notice. Wow, okay. I was only paying attention to Gaga. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> But that's being released October 5th. That's why, right, I felt this was super timely. It was like, okay, just saw Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan back together again at the Emmys. Then yeah. I see Dave Chappelle live. Dave Chappelle's in a movie that's coming out in two weeks. It's going to be the biggest movie of the year, best movie of the year. Lady Gaga's going to win an Oscar. It's going to be great. So this was just the perfect moment to talk about the scandal. But yeah, actually at the after party at TIFF, Dave Chappelle uh, gave a toast to Bradley Cooper, you know, who also directed the movie. And he said, tonight's the first night 
I've ever seen myself in a good fucking movie. Oh my god. So that's that's cool, right? And obviously, as y'all know, Dave Chappelle had a $60 million deal with Netflix to produce two stand-up specials. Actually, I think it was four total, but two were already uh, filmed. But it was his first stand-up special since For What It's Worth, which is widely considered his best special. I think it's the greatest comedy stand-up special of all time. Damn. Uh, It's really, really funny. And uh, yeah, so like... He he has this really cool line in an interview he did with Gail King before the first special came out on Netflix in 2016. Yes, Gail King. He says, It's okay to be afraid because you can't be brave or courageous without fear. The idea of being courageous is that even even though you're scared, you just do the right thing anyway. So in 2004, I walked away from 50 million and November and in November... I made a deal for sixty million. Boom, bitch! Right, it's like in the end, he gets Who's the money. Still won? Yeah. He he has the life that he wants to live. And with inflation, it's probably more. So everything's good. Like everything's coming up, Dave Chappelle. Everything's coming up, Chappelle. So uh, you know he's happy. He he has this other quote in that Gail King interview. He says. If you look at me physically, I'm like 40 pounds heavier than I was when I did Chappelle's show. And people are like, how did you gain all that weight? And he's like, mm-hmm. by resting and eating and paying attention to myself. I have yeah. actual relationships with my kids. He goes on to say, I've been all over the country touring all my life, but I never saw anything. Now I've seen everything. I could talk I to that. people. I had time to stop if someone said they like me. It wasn't like I brushed past them. Like, I don't want to hear it. I had time mm-hmm. to stop. Like, you do? Mm-hmm. It was just the way that I engaged with the world was different. So he's in a happier place. And, and that line about like, now I've seen everything to me is so crucial and so indicative of the place yeah. he's at now. Because, you know, you could get so caught up in the fame and the pressure and the money and and uh, all all that stuff that, that you just end up inoculating yourself and you don't actually I- explore. Right. And now he's actually enjoying the experience rather than just like being rushed through it. This was a Holly Shook I really wanted to do because I feel like it's such a winning story for Dave Chappelle. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not one of those scandals that um, tarnish someone's reputation. It it doesn't end up ruining their life. And we've talked about that, right? Like how certain scandals can have like drastic effects. I mean, you did the podcast on Natalie Wood. You told that story and obviously it ends up with her dying tragically. Right, Um, yeah. In this case, you know, really to me, like, what happens is Dave Chappelle didn't handle a contractual situation that well. And the real scandal was how the media portrayed it and just blew it up into this, like, giant, giant thing. And is it interesting why Chappelle walked away from Chappelle's show? Hell yeah, that was definitely the greatest sketch comedy show of all time. And, like, it's mm-hmm. a sto- that's why it's a story worth telling. But I think the best part of the story is how, you know, he has now come to find the success the type of success he wanted to have and also live the life he wanted to lead it's pretty dope well i also like i just think it's pretty cool that like you said it didn't tarnish his reputation like he came back and he still was just as popular as he was when he left kind of like i know all the people i relate a lot of like his comebacks to when he hosted snl too because this is when i was like right still obsessed with snl and I had, like I said, never really watched all his stuff, but like recognized some of it. And he kind of like 
did a lot of his old characters when he hosted and people were like so excited about it and like living their truth and like screaming about it and people were just happy to like have him back no one was like you are crazy and you like walked away on success like they were just like we just want you to come back because you're talented and funny and like we missed having you make us laugh basically and and that was an important snl that was the first um snl after donald trump got elected so it was oh was it really it was a landmark episode Do you remember Dave Chappelle had the opening monologue where he talked about the fact that Trump was elected? Oh, yeah. I didn't didn't connect the dots with that. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good episode. That was big. So good for Dave Chappelle. Who Who better to host than him, probably. And I'm excited to see what he does next because, like I said, I feel like he's just in this sweet spot right now. So I think he's going to continue creating. I don't think he's going to go on another... 10, 12 year hiatus. I think he's right. going to give us some, you know, breadcrumbs every now and again. Like, he's not going to yeah. be prolific. He's not going to be like 93 through 2005 Dave Chappelle ever again. I don't think so. But he doesn't need to be either. And I think the point is like, he's doing stuff when he wants to do it and like when he believes in it and stuff. He's not just mm-hmm. doing it because he's the hottest thing in town. So people just want to get, people become so overexposed when they're the hottest thing in town. And, Now it's like, all right, well, he's talented and people still want to see him, but like they'll see him when they see him type thing, which is pretty, pretty ideal, honestly. Yeah. I I can't make him bank. Actually, I really can't wait to see his role in A Star is Born. Like from the trailer, I just feel like he's perfectly suited for that character. Oh, I was so excited. I didn't even realize he was in it. I'm once again too focused on Gaga, (laughs) but like, I guess I'll open my eyes to the other people in the movie now. Well, that was like super interesting because I always. I mean, like, classic American, just, like, listening to the headlines and being Mm -hmm. influenced by clickbait and media. But I always just thought Dave Chappelle went crazy and ran away to Africa. So I'm glad you clarified that for me. Yeah, and I feel like I should mention, too, that season three ended up airing, uh, but they only had the limited amount of sketches that they already filmed. shorter. And you know how Dave would do like little bits between the sketches and then introduce the sketch. Mm-hmm. They had Charlie Murphy and Donald Rawlings do that instead. Cause they, f- mm-hmm. they would film that closer to the release. So yeah. none of those were filmed. So basically season three was hosted by Charlie Murphy and Donald Rawlings, not, um, not Dave Chappelle. And that was okay. released as like, the, they called it like the lost episodes or something. And I, I had right. that on DVD as well. Of and course. I think it's just three episodes if I remember correctly. Oh, weird. Yeah. So you don't even need a whole DVD. Yeah, right. <laughs> just half a, half a DVD. <laughs> like a quarter of a DVD. <laughs> just stick it on in. <laughs> and I think it was still like 20-something bucks. Of course. No, definitely. Uh, but I bought it. Worth it. But you can always play it on your DVD player that you still own. And I still do own one. So weird. <laughs> you got to keep it around, you know, for the off chance that you want to watch one of your old DVDs. How do you press play? I have to get up out of my couch. Oh, DVD players do have this thing called a remote. Have you heard? <laughs> They're hard to use. <laughs> well, one last thing. How was he live? Does he still have the? Does he still have the oomph that he had when he was in his prime? Oh, does he have the oomph? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never seen him live before. Obviously, uh, incredible through the television, and he was just. He was electric live. It was so funny. So, so he good. did like, he was doing stand up then, obviously. Oh, yeah. So it was like a weird, like, concert 
like music slash comedy show. So yeah, so De La Soul opened, and then Michael Shea actually did thirty oh, minutes of stand up, and then a DJ did a little bit of intermission between Michael Shea and Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle did his whole stand up. And it was so good and like classic Chappelle covered race, politics, and obviously did his like, Chappelle also loves his vulgar stuff. So there was a lot of just like yeah. masturbation humor and sex humor mm-hmm. and peeing in the mouth humor. It was a lot of fun. Um, yum. <laughs> yum. And then uh, there was a DJ between Chappelle and Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill closed it out. What a great experience for oh, you. It was the best. It was the best Hollywood Bowl performance I've ever been at. And I've been to some good ones. I've seen Erica Badu. I've seen Flying mm-hmm. Lotus. Like, I've seen some great shows. Uh, uh, George Clinton. All right, right. Well, I think that's it. Okay. Well, we've you lingered did an amazing on this job, one. sweetie. I know. Wow. Well. <laughs> um, thanks for clearing the air on the Dave, Dave Chappelle scandal. I wanted to. You know, like, I was like, does this really count? Because I don't consider it a Dave Chappelle scandal. I'm like, you know what? No, this Holly Shook episode is going to be about, like you said, clearing Dave Chappelle's name, you know, clearing the yeah. air and uh, clarifying for the people who may still think, oh, he went crazy and fled to Africa. Yeah. It's like, no, he visited his friend, didn't want to do the thing anymore. And it's not like he took a $50 million check and Ran. didn't do the thing. He yeah. didn't take the money. Yeah. That's what I thought happened. So... The only now I have a whole new respect for him. The people I feel bad for are like the PAs on the show and the other writers on the show. Yeah, and stuff like, like that. who like lost their jobs. Right. Um, but TV is a fleeting thing. Nothing's guaranteed in the business. Right. Um, and I'm sure they got paid for the time they were there. Oh, yeah. And so. I'm sure they someone hooked them up with something else. Yeah. Probably part of the Viacom family at that point. Hopefully. Hopefully. Justice for the PAs. Yes. All right, right. I think we now now we've really covered every okay, nook and cranny really of this one. Into it. Yes. <laughs> once we once we gave the justice for the PAs, we didn't have a PSA on this one. I guess PSA. If you are People Magazine or you uh, USA Today, not USA Today, Us Weekly. Um, <laughs> if you are Us Weekly, don't uh, drag USA Today into yeah, this. Right. <laughs> National Enquirer, any of those guys, uh, d- don't jump to conclusions, please. Have some respect. I mean, respectful journalism. But if, speaking of People Magazine, don't forget to check out our People Magazine um, graphics that we do for this podcast. Yes. Check it Twitters out. On our and Instagrams. At buttered at underscore pop. Buttered underscore pop. I was like, what is it? <laughs> um, good tie-in with People Magazine there. Yeah. All right, Rye. I can't wait for the next one. Can't wait to shook you again in a couple weeks. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, Army.